everyone, welcome back to the Baropolis podcast. As usual, I am joined with Nathan, and this week we have the absolute pleasure of being able to talk about yet another defeat for Middlesbrough Football Club uh, in what has been a phenomenal start to the championship season. Um, of course, it hasn't been a phenomenal start, has it, Nathan? But for the good of the podcast, early on in the podcast at least, I thought I would try and sort of almost mask a smile and, and pretend that I'm somewhat upbeat about having to talk about what happened on Saturday. Yeah, it's a, a case of if you don't laugh, then you'll cry at the moment. Um, yeah, you wait so long for the season to come back. And uh, yeah, a month in nearly now and uh, still failing to register a league win is a little bit disappointing. Um, but yeah, we'll uh, pick the bones out of uh, Saturday's defeat to West Brom. But first of all, how are you doing, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure many people that listen to this podcast who were unfortunately um, throughout life just being forced into supporting this club. I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I love it a bit. It's it's probably making me sound sort of spoiled or whatnot at the moment, but. Uh, the unfortunate part of, well, I suppose for any football fan that isn't a Man City fan, um, more often than not, your team is dictated by how they perform. And when you're a Middlesbrough fan, more often than not, you are let down by them. So my mood is being reflected by Middlesbrough at the moment, Nathan. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm not in the best of moods, but um, I had a decent bank holiday. I know you've uh, been a little bit busier than me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, Nathan, where, where have you spent your weekend for the listeners? Yeah, I've been at Leeds Festival in the uh, the beating sun of uh, of Yorkshire, which was um, a decent weekend watching uh, Sam Fender with all the Geordies. Uh, so I was glad that they, uh, they got taken down a peg or two yesterday by 10-man Liverpool. Um, thought I'd get that in there because it was very funny to watch in the pub yesterday. Um, but... Yeah, a decent weekend at Leeds Festival. Uh, a few phone calls with you throughout the afternoon, getting updates on uh, what was going on at the Hawthorns because I had little signal, if at all any. Um, but yeah, uh, a, a good bank holiday weekend that mine probably wasn't as spoiled by the football as yours, Chris. Yeah, and obviously we should say for those that might be watching and listening, you may think, well, why am I tuning into a podcast if Nathan didn't watch the game? You have since watched the game back and obviously various highlights packages and things like that. So although it wasn't ruined at the time, um, I'm sure the the 90 or so minutes that you then had a watch back uh, ruined the day for you. So yeah, Nathan, it's um, it hasn't been great for anyone that had to watch that. Well, Middlesbrough fans, anyway. I'm sure West Brom fans enjoy it. Um, but before we do get into that shower of, I'm not going to say the word, but I think you know what I'm trying to refer to. Um, there is something that we just quickly like to ask for those of you that may be watching or listening, and that is basically um, we'd really appreciate any support in the Football Content Awards, which are coming up um, at the moment. Uh, there is a two or three week period where pretty much 
you can vote for your favourite um, fan-led channels, Twitter accounts, social media accounts, basically fan creators, I suppose. Um, and there is even some awards for players and clubs, etc. Uh, but yes, um, it's held every year. Last year, we didn't even sort of mention it. We never even thought we'd really get enough votes to even be considered but obviously as the account's grown and things like that we thought why not have a go at it we might not even get close we might not get nominated we probably won't Nathan but we thought we'll give it a go this year at least um so what I will do is I will leave the link to the voting page um in the YouTube description and also for all the details it's currently our pinned tweet on Twitter um the category that we're hoping to be successful in, or at least be shortlisted in, um, is best club content creator. And that is for the Football League. There is various categories, uh, obviously Premier League content creator, e uh, EFL or Football League, I think the category is called, and then international. So obviously, given that Middlesbrough, at the moment at least, um, look like they won't be going anywhere but the EFL, maybe the National League in a few years' time if we keep on going. <laughs> Um, no, um, we are in that category for the Football League and that is for the best club content creator. So um, if you want to go via the link in the YouTube description, if you're watching, then that would be perfect. Just pop our name in that box. Um, as I've said, you don't have to fill out the full form. You can just vote for whichever categories you like. And if you're listening and perhaps uh, you don't... Um, watch on youtube then as i say just check out our pin tweet on twitter and you can find deals that way so now that's out the way we can i mean i'm not so sure it's a good thing but we can talk about the west Brom game um and if you do vote just ahead of that thank you ever so much for the support um it really does mean a lot the sort of support that we've had already and a few votes that we've seen come through on twitter and um, such things like that. So we do appreciate all of that. But I'll stop begging and we'll uh, we'll go into the West Brom game, Nathan. Um, there was two changes for the game, wasn't there? One of which, somewhat of a surprise. And, I mean, we'll get onto it later, but that surprise soon turned into a little bit of a nightmare. Of course, the surprise was Tommy Smith being fit and well enough to come straight back into the start eleven. Uh, obviously, he replaced Rav Vandenberg, who I believe dislocated his thumb, and that was why he wasn't in the squad. And then also, after our discussion on him last week, Nathan, a whole probably 15 minutes was spent debating the whole topic. Uh, Riley McGree's back in the team now. So, um, yeah, that was a, a well-spent 15 minutes in the last podcast. But yes, he replaced Marcus Force. And those were the two changes, Nathan. So when you did manage to get a little bit of a signal and see the team, how did you feel about that? I was pretty pleased. Um, I thought that the team looked a little bit more balanced, of course, with uh, Tommy Smith coming back in. You have your your, uh, your natural right back back in the fold for the first time this season, which is a massive plus point prior to kickoff. Um, and then, of course, Riley McGree, we did say last week in our little debate, well, I said... I thought that he would come back into the fold uh, eventually uh, now that we do have Lucas Engel uh, a part of the first team. Um, so, yeah, pretty pleased with uh, the starting eleven. Of course, I am still sort of holding out hope when I look at the team sheet that 
we will see uh, a few more additions to the team sheet prior to the end of the transfer window, which is this Friday coming up uh, when the podcast goes up. Um, but yeah, pretty pleased with uh, with what I saw and th- yeah, positive in terms of my belief that we could go to West Brom and, and, and pick up a positive result. Yeah, and, and how wrong were you, Nathan? Um, <laughs> obviously, going into the game now, it was, it was, for want of a better word, a bit of a disaster, really. Um, we had very few sort of spells in the game where I thought that we really managed to show what we showed in spells against Huddersfield last week. Um, we obviously score two goals in the game, but actually throughout obviously watching the game live, I, I just never felt like it was a game that we could get three points from. And if we had have got a, um, even a point out of the game, it would have felt a little bit like a robbery, I'm not going to lie. Um, and actually, I don't think that was through West Brom being terrific. It was more through us shooting ourselves in the foot repeatedly. And that was sort of a theme throughout the game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, f- from my perspective, it was a bit of a strange sort of first half for me. Obviously, not having signal at the weekend, I caught the first 20 minutes on my phone and was like sort of reading through the stats. And I thought, oh, well, it looks pretty even in terms of uh, in terms of possession and Borough had a few half chances and things like that. And I thought, right, perfect. Um, I'm going to go and see an act now. Uh, and the act went on for half an hour, which took me through to half time. And I thought, oh, well, uh, hopefully I'll get some signal. And the Gazette uh, had put, we've got tweet notifications on for the Gazette. And I think the tweet read uh, right back in it or something like that. So I thought, oh, well, they must have gone 1-0 up and we've gone 1-1 then. So I thought, oh, well, 1-1's not too bad going at half time. Yeah, the signal was just horrendous because it was two and it was two one. Um, but yeah, of course the first goal comes, big long throw, it's flicked on, and the debate on BBCTs and sort of on 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 various sort of shows and on Twitter and and things like that was, is it a foul on Johnny Housen from Cedric Kipra who sort of nudges him in the back as he jumps to head the ball away, Kipre brings the ball down and, well, it's a, it's a fantastic finish for a centre-half to just leather the ball in the top corner. For me, I think if I'm seeing two hands in the back, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking it's probably a foul, but when you're looking at how much contact there actually is, there isn't too much possibly to pushed the house and off so it's it would have been a soft one but you would have seen the referee's perspective had he given it and he hasn't and West Brom won it up um so yeah it's uh certainly one that's that's up for debate but for me it would have been soft I think if I'm saying it's definitely uh, a free kick to Middlesbrough, then I think I'm probably being a little bit biased towards us because I don't think it's definitely 
a free kick. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you in full, to be honest, Nathan. At first glance, I thought it was a definite foul. Obviously, as you say, you see the two hands go into the back of Johnny Elson and immediately you just sort of almost anticipate there will be more contact than what there is because of the two hands being on his back. But actually, I've watched it about that many times now and it's a, it is a difficult one because you can see why it hasn't been given, but then you could also put forward an argument where you say, well, if two hands are on the back, it's whether it's a lot of contact or not, it is having an effect on Johnny Housen's ability to jump and head the ball clear. And in that case, I guess you would say, well, in that case, it's foul then. But I'm I'm a little bit split on it. I can kind of see it both ways. Um, uh, Maddo was absolutely adamant that it was a foul for a push in the back um, whilst commentating on the game. And... I don't know. I'm. I'm still even now. I, I watch it sometimes, and I think, well, yeah, it, it is a foul. And then I watch it again, and I think, well, does that much contact contact really sort of constitute a foul? And I honestly, think it could be the flip of a coin. You can make an, you can make a judgment on both. And honestly, it's one of them where I know we criticise referees in the EFL quite a lot, but I almost sort of sympathise because I think had a different referee done uh, refereed that moment in 50 different circumstances, you probably would have got a complete even split of both, whether it was or wasn't a foul. So, yes, I can't give you sort of a full judgment. If I was to really lean one way, I'd probably go with you and say it's minimal contact, I think. I'm going to say that before I change my mind again anyway. <laughs> uh, but as you say, it is a for a centre-half, Cedric Kipre takes it like primes like Ani Ibrahimovic. Um, half volley, absolutely smashes it into the back of the net. Dieng has absolutely no chance. And it's a terrific finish, in fairness, if you sort of uh, disregard the uh, incident that happens before that. Obviously... It wasn't as early as Daryl DK's um, opener in the the last time we went to the Hawthorns, but it had a, a similar feeling about it where when that hit the back of the net, you did think, oh dear. Because West Brom had started pretty well. And when they found that opener, I did have that horrible thought of, dear me, this could be a long afternoon. And I mean, shortly after, they double the lead, Nathan. Yeah, they do. And this one is where I think I can be a little bit more straight to the point with my analysis, which is defending's embarrassing. Embarrassing. Um midfielders just failing to track swift. Defenders don't want to go and engage with him. He just has a free run into the box and buries it in the top corner. But you have Sammy Silvera jogging back. Johnny Housen in this instance is really, really poor. Just jogging. Just jogging. And it's unacceptable. Uh, Swift does have sort of the um, reputation as being one of the better players in the division in the last sort of five, ten years uh, for, for being consistently good. 
but he doesn't have to do anything there. He just strolls into the Borough box, gets his shot away. And again, Senny Dieng's helpless to save that one right in the top corner. But defending, shocking. Um, as you mentioned at the start of the podcast, Chris, shooting ourselves in the foot. That is that is the absolute definition of that goal. Um, if you don't go and engage with the opposition players, then they'll go and hurt you. And it's cost us another goal there. It sends you 2-0 down, away from home. And, yeah, it, it, it pretty much snatches away from you getting anything out of the game. Yeah, it does. And you're absolutely right. I think at the time when I was on the phone at half-time trying to describe uh, the goal before, see you'd seen it, um, I compared it to the Chris Willett goal at QBR away last season. And it is very, very similar. The player, obviously in this uh, instance, John Swift, has the freedom of the whole of the stadium. Just cuts through us like a hot knife through butter. It's so easy for him to get to the edge of the box and take his shot. And I've seen, obviously, the criticisms of Housen and Silvera, and they're both justified um, for this goal. And I think also the centre-halves aren't really out to it, probably quick enough as well. Um, yeah, there's not sort of any real over-analysing this goal. It's just rotten defending. It's it's horrible to watch. It's so easy for John Swift. And as you say, a player of his re- uh, reputation in the Championship, especially a player of his quality, you can't give him that much time and space. And the way that he made it look was pretty much, he just ran through a couple of mannequins in a training drill and wrapped one into the top corner. It's just so easy for him. And it's really... Really, really, really poor. It's that's all that can be said, to be honest. There's no yeah. sort of airs and graces about it. It is just really rank bad defending from our standpoint. Yeah, it is. I completely agree with you. Um, I mean, I play Sunday league, and it's it's like when your midfielders uh hung over on a Sunday morning and they, they can't be bothered to track back. It is that it is that bad, uh, and yeah, it's really poor. It pretty much kills the game, as I say. Um, Borough do get one back before half-time, which was one of the positives of the day. Uh, two of the new signings combined. Silvera down the right-hand side this time, rather than the left, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks. Down the right-hand side has the beaten Matt Phillips, who was playing at left wing-back for West Brom on the day and gets his cross into the box, and Emmanuel Latte-Lath is there. We were saying last week about his stature, not being the tallest, but he rises above Kipre, he rises above Semi-Ajai, and he uh, he gets a really good header, goal-bound into the corner, and past Alex Palmer, and it's, it's a really good header, a really good goal. And looking back on the game, as I say, it is one of the positives that our front man, who we've just signed, has now got off the mark after his miss last week, which he definitely should have scored. He makes this chance look relatively comfortable, just bullets the header into the ground and in the corner. Yeah, yeah, and I think perhaps, obviously we have a small sample size to go off, but I think the sort of instinctive finishes like we saw where he 
doesn't really have a lot of time to think about what he's going to do might actually suit his sort of variation of finishing a little bit better. Obviously, we saw because of his pace, he can get in these situations where he's bearing down on goal, but he has quite a way to run towards and then pick which corner he's going to put the ball in or where he's going to try and shoot. And in this situation, he doesn't have long to think about it. He obviously jumps up the highest, um, rises and does the perfect thing when the ball's coming in from across, heads it into the ground and, yeah, directs it right into the corner. And as you say, a, a real sort of, from a game that had so many negatives, that was one of the major positives that you could take away from it. The fact that he is off the mark and obviously for strikers, especially moving into a very different league to what he's played in before. Obviously, that will give him a whole load of confidence to get off the mark. Um, and actually, even when the goal went in, it was really against the run of play, to be honest, because they'd went 2-0 up and really, like a flash, Silvera just flies down the line, whips a ball in and it's sort of just... I was almost watching the game thinking what's just happened because it was all very quite quick within the space of sort of five or ten minutes and uh, yeah I was a little bit startled I was thinking my goodness are we actually going to get back into this game what's sort of happening I wasn't too sure at the time um, but yeah a positive nonetheless a great header from Latte Laugh and at that stage you think well there's only one goal in it now we've gave ourselves a mountain to climb but the deficit's been halved and we can really have a good go at getting ourselves back into this game. And I think everyone would have snapped your hand off for a point at that stage. Um, for the remainder of the half, we didn't have any sort of huge chances. Um, it was very much a midfield battle. Uh, West Brom still dominating that midfield battle, um, but not really sort of to the point where they were creating a whole host of chances. We get ourselves in at half-time, Nathan. And as I say, at the time, you think, well, we've done okay here. Um, I'm on the phone to you explaining what's happening at the time uh, of the game. And, yeah, I, I mean, of course, we were 2-1 down at the point, but did I sound that negative on the phone? Uh, yeah, a little bit, I can't lie. Um, I mean, sort of I expected after I watched the first half. Um, but yeah, uh, you're sort of hoping at halftime when it goes 2-1, you think, well, yeah, we haven't had the best first half there, but we got ourselves back into the game with the goal through Latte Lath and like a minute after uh, Swift scores. And you think, well, we're still in the game. Just stay in, stay in it as long as possible and try and nick something. And yeah, they they try their best to um just make you look like a mug to the borough. Um straight after half time, and I mean straight after half time. Yeah. As we uh spoke about earlier, shooting ourselves in the foot. It was always going to happen, really, with um, the way that we want to play. And sometimes we play ourselves into a little bit of trouble. And in this instance, we play their striker through in on goal. Um, Borough trying to play out down the left-hand side. And the ball gets played into Lucas Engel, the new signing. 
and he's just trying to recycle possession and go back to Dieng and then you'd switch it out to the right hand side and uh, and move out which is fine uh, apart from he doesn't spot Brandon Thomas Asante stood along that passing lane to Dieng and he plays it straight to him Asante does well in fairness uh, in this instance beats Dieng to the ball rounds him takes his time composes himself and just passes the ball in the near post and there is that is game done really that is game set match I know there's 40 minutes left of the game nearly a full half but you're playing away from home at one of the best best defences in the league and they're not going to ship more goals uh, to get your level um, and yeah it's it's really really unfortunate but as Michael Carrick said he takes the blame for that he takes the blame for the way that we play and if we, we ship goals that way like we did with Vandenberg's mistake against Huddersfield in the cup then the blame lies at the feet of Michael Carrick because that's that's how he wants uh, the boys to play and yeah, in this instance, it's uh, it's just a shame that it's happened straight after half time, and it's killed any sort of any sort of build up of momentum or build up of belief in the team to go and and get a result from the second half. Yeah, yeah, it did. And in in all fairness, I must say, I, I not that I would be particularly sort of want any Middlesbrough player to make a mistake, but it was a real nightmare, the fact it was Engel. And to be honest, I don't think he was... It, it's not like he had a, a horrific game. He, he didn't probably have his best game, but he also didn't have a horrendous game by any stretch. And obviously, this individual error really clouds his performance. Um, but yeah, it, it's just one of them, isn't it, Nathan? As you say, Michael Carrick, it's very confident in the way that we play. It's his style. It's the way that we saw last season with Zach Steffen when you sort of pass it around the back and try and build up that way and invite pressure on so that you've got pockets of space further up the pitch. That normally leads to scares. And in this instance, it's more than a scare. Um, it's, it's a really sort of... Once the pass has been played, you almost just put your head in your hands and think, oh, for God's sake, could we have not, if we were going to make this mistake, could we have not done it at least 20 minutes into the second half just so he'd had a sort of false glimmer of hope? Um, but no, as you say, it comes early on. And then, to use that phrase again, Nathan, once again, to shoot ourselves in the foot, Tommy Smith, not long after West Brom get their third Having already been booked for not a great challenge uh, in the first half, Tommy Smith, again, perhaps a little bit rusty, having been out for a spell of time. His man beats him. I think it's Phillips. Um, and, yeah, it's just one of those. A fullback's instinct. Perhaps he should know better, given his experience. But he's beaten and immediately thinks, I've got to stop him. And probably before 
the thought even hit his brain that he was already on a yellow card. He's already dragged him back and he's been shown his second yellow and he's been sent off. And it pretty much summed up the whole of the day when literally as soon as he pulled him back and he knew what was coming, he almost just sort of put his head in his knees and just hung down towards the floor as if to say, oh, God, this is just going from bad to worse. And that's exactly what did happen, Nathan. Yeah, it did. Um, He's shown that red card and, yeah, 10 men, 3-1 down just after half-time. You've got 40 minutes to play with 10 men against West Brom and you're thinking... This could really be a whitewash uh, this afternoon, or at least I did anyway when I was getting the result through. Um, and yeah, I was just sort of hoping, right, damage limitation now, get beat 3 1, just get out of there. Like, game's done. And in fairness, the boys stuck in there and they didn't just fold completely. Um, I think West Brom fans will be a little bit, perhaps a little bit disappointed with not going on and extending that lead further against 10 men. Um, but yeah, Bora did well to sort of stick in there. Of course, Carrick did bring Paddy McNair on uh, to play in that right-back role. Um, but yeah, it was... Uh, definitely game done at 3-1 and then with the red card that was definitely nailing the coffin yeah you give um, yourself time don't you and then also sort of adding sleet hailstones ice all on that <laughs> pelting in the back of the uh, back of the head yeah um, and 100 mile an hour winds um, whilst climbing that mountain um, and actually Another of the few positives, when obviously, as you say, we, we brought on Paddy McNair, but we also brought on Isaiah Jones, who, in fairness to him, come on and made a real impact. And there was times where, because we were down to 10, he was literally getting the ball on the right wing, beating three or four players. And I think he got a few shots off. Obviously, he hits the post at one stage, goes really close there. And... You know, in those situations, I think from Michael Carrick's perspective, he's probably looking at the game thinking it's somewhat damage limitation at this point. And the players that he sends on, he wants them to work the socks off for one, but also basically go out there and, and, and prove him wrong for, for starting as substitutes. And I think Isaiah Jones did exactly that. Uh, it was a real bright spark when he did come on the pitch. Um and yeah, that's one uh, extra positive. Obviously, you've tr- got to try your best to pick them out of uh, days like Saturday. Um, but yeah, I think, as you say, West Brom fans probably will look back on the game and, and think actually that the, the scoreline probably doesn't really reflect the game from their point of view. Um, I wouldn't say, I don't think any 4-2 defeat ever flatters uh, the team that were on the receiving end of the defeat, but I think it could have been a whole lot worse. Um, and as you say, 
a little bit of credit has got to go for them. The fact that they do get it back to 3-2, obviously um, cross into the box, handball, uh, Marcus Force sticks away the penalty. And even at that stage, I've got to be honest, I never felt like they were going to get the equaliser. And that might be really bad, but sort of my my level of enthusiasm and level of belief in the team, having seen everything before that was really quite low, to be honest. And yeah, I mean, what can you say, Nathan? Well, we we do have our our little bit of sarcastic laughs and things like that, me and yourself. And of course, <laughs> me having no signal, I was sort of relying on you to give me updates. And I was obviously joking on saying, yeah, we're getting it back to 3-3. Like, just had no indication of what's going on in the game, but saying, no, we'll draw 3-3 here, even though they were down to 10 men and probably getting battered in the game. And then message comes through, penalty, 83rd minute, forced to take, 3-2, all in caps locks, we might be back. <laughs> and me seeing this, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm just thinking, we're not back. We are completely, it's probably not even 3-2. I thought you were completely having me on. Um, and... I think I I just put yeah you're you're chatting rubbish obviously, and uh, then I uh, swiftly got a message back that was a four two Sarmiento, uh, game dead, and uh, yeah it was uh, another goal to concede. I know it's ten men, and the boys are probably absolutely out on the feet, but defensively again, it is. Like really, really poor. Um, Samiento has the ball in in the corner, and he's sort of just keeping the ball down there on his own. And Borough trying to make tackles, and he keeps retaining the ball back off the tackles. It sort of gets recycled and played through a gap by. The one and only Alex Mowat, who plays the ball in between McNair and Hackney, I think it is, down that right-hand side. Sami Ento's in the box and from about eight yards out, unchallenged as Dale Fry stands there and just tries to shy away from the ball instead of going to close him down. Sami Ento launches the ball in the top corner past Dieng, 4-2. As you said to me, game dead and... Yeah, a long afternoon for the borough was uh, finally at rest. Yeah, the, uh, the I think that's what they call the final nail in the coffin, Nathan, and it certainly was um, for Saturday's game. And yeah, look, obviously it, it makes it so much more difficult, as we said, um, going down to 10 men. Uh, that's obviously a given. But the manner in which... We seem to, especially so far this season, and it's it's always been a theme, sort of throughout the years of following Middlesbrough, and and to be honest, even in certain circumstances last season under Michael Carrick, we just have this real ability to shoot ourselves in the foot, 
and it's almost like a, you see that sort of meme all the time on, on Twitter where it's basically someone holding a gun to the back of their own head thinking that it's someone else's. It is just literally... We're, we are our own worst enemies at times. We really are. Um, and listen, I know we'll get on to the sort of recruitment side of things and what we still need, and, and that doesn't help at all. But in terms of just looking at the game and looking at where it's gone wrong, my, oh, my, there's some there's some real, real bad defending. If you are a young, aspiring football player and... Um, you've got a coach that wants to show you examples of what not to do when you're trying to defend, then just show them the highlights of that game because it was pitiful really at times. And look, there is varying reasons why that was the case. Sometimes it's individual errors. Obviously we saw that with Engel and look, I guess you could put it down to multiple um, individual errors and, and, in for some of the goals, it becomes one collective big error. But the point I'd like to make is I've, I've seen a lot of conversation around the fact that the midfield doesn't offer enough protection. And don't get me wrong, in this game, it absolutely did not. It didn't. And Hayden Hatney and Johnny Allison, for me, even at Johnny Allison's age, two midfielders that I think I would be fair to say the majority of the championship would be fairly happy with as they're starting to midfielders. But in this instance, and we have seen it previously as well, they just don't sort of offer that real defensive brutality aspect of sniffing out danger sometimes. And... The real issue at hand here for me is not necessarily what I've just said. And people might be listening thinking, well, what are you about to say? Because you sound like you're just contradicting yourself. But actually, I think that although Michael Carrick won't want what's happened in this circumstance in terms of his midfield has not offered enough protection to happen, I think he'll be aware of it. But the plan last season and what we did so effectively last season was when we did concede goals and yes, it was maybe only one at a time, but we did concede goals fairly regularly and we managed to outscore the opponents. This season, up until this stage, we can't do that anymore. We simply don't have the firepower to basically go with the mindset of, well, if you score one, we're going to score three. Yeah. And it it makes sense as to why we could do that last season when you look at the players that have departed. Ryan Giles, five million. I mean, I don't even want to repeat it. I, I put a tweet out basically just sort of sulking about the fact that all of these players had gone to these clubs for big transfer fees. And people are probably sick of hearing about it now. But at the end of the day, it's the situation we now find ourselves in. And if that was going to be the plan again this season, the sort of brashness to say, well, we'll just outscore you, then it's gone horribly wrong in terms of recruitment because 
we haven't replaced anywhere close to the threat that we posed in in, a, in an attacking sense last season. So for me, that's where we're coming unstuck. And yes, ideally, you don't want a team that constantly has to outscore teams. You want a team that's well-oiled in every aspect of its performance. You want a solid defence. You want to, obviously, individual errors are going to happen from time to time. You can't just cut them out altogether. But you want a midfield that's going to not only be good in terms of um, winning the midfield battle, passing forward like Hayden Hackney is able to do, you also want them to protect the back line. And you also want the three behind the striker to be as creative as possible and get goals and assists. And you want your striker to put those chances away. But from the team we have, if you look at it plain and simply, last season, we finished where we did. And OK, yes, we sort of, the wheels come off towards the end. But there's only been two changes from that midfield and defence. We've lost Ryan Giles and added Lucas Angle, who, yes, OK, made an error. But the general consensus so far from Middlesbrough fans is that he's actually probably a little bit better defensively than Ryan Giles. And Senny Dieng, I saw some criticism of him. I don't think we've conceded a goal this season yet that you could place the blame at him for. So if you look at it that way, then nothing drastic's changed in that scenario. So for me, the obvious thing to look at is what has changed in a drastic way, and that is the three behind the striker and obviously the striker. So if that was the plan going into this season and we thought, well, yeah, we're just going to outscore teams again, surely the recruitment and even Michael Carrick would have known that we're going to have to bring in a certain calibre of player that is able to replicate the types of numbers that we saw from our forward line last season. At the moment, there's been a few glimpses of signings Morgan Rogers in the 10. Yeah, there's been promising signs there. Don't get me wrong. Sammy Silvera, we've saw uh, from him some promising signs. But both of which, and again, I'll go back to it, if the plan was we're going to outscore you, both of which, for me, from what I saw, should have been development slash squad players with real firepower coming in to replace those that left. So you can probably tell, Nathan, I mean, it, it's it's infuriating because it's it's a whole, like, back and forth of, well, we want to compete, but judging from the recruitment so far, I don't think that's a, a, a necessity almost because they aren't signings that you look at and think, well, they're really going to have a go at this. But then you also throw into the mix the fact that for years and years, we've all cried out for more... Uh, for a more sustainable model in terms of lower transfer fees, building players up, selling them on for more. We all know what we've discussed, the sort of Brentford Brighton model. But there's got to be a happy medium for a club like Middlesbrough, in my opinion, as a fan. And at the moment, I don't think we found that. No, I I, I agree with you, Chris. And you've raised a, a really interesting point there. And 
just on sort of the same um, topic of conversation, I'm not a massive fan of of XG uh, as a as a sort of metric, but uh, in terms of XG against so far this season, Middlesbrough's XG against is four point zero eight. So, for those that don't know, the quality of chances that we're conceding should sort of level out as us conceding four goals. Middlesbrough's actual goals conceded is now nine for the season, um, which goes to show that either you're very shoddy defensively or you're very unlucky to almost double. Well, well, oh, sorry, double and more your uh, XG conceded. So I think that goes to show pretty much that the defence isn't doing quite as well as it should be. Um, Borough are shooting themselves in the foot, which is probably going to be the title of this podcast as well. Um, And really, it's simply not quite working as well as it was last year, as you say, Chris, because the firepower that we had last year would pull us out of the mud a lot of the time where we'd go one nil down and you'd think, well, it's not the end of the world because we're definitely going to create chances, more than likely going to put them away. And I'd probably be shocked last season in games if we just score one. Really, yeah. because more often than not, we'd go and we'd see three ones, four nils, five ones, even in some instances, and we'd just put teams to the sword. And looking at the starting eleven, uh, for for Saturday, and you're looking at some of the players as you mentioned there, Rogers in the ten, Silvera, Latte Lath, of course, is the new side in. I think it's a little bit difficult to give true judgment on him yet because we've only seen two games from him. But you just look at that and you think there's a, a massive Tubrak pom shaped hole left in the team in terms of a player that scored 30 goals. Marcus Force couldn't get in the side on Saturday. He scored double figures last season. Of course, Cameron Archer came in in January, scored double figures from then on. Aaron Ramsey came in in January and nearly scored double figures. And you just look at the players that were left with from the front line from last season. Crooks chips in, but isn't going to start games from now on. Riley McGree chipped in last season at times, but as I mentioned last week in our little debate, doesn't chip in enough for me for an attacking midfielder. And I think that's that's fair for, for, for most fans to agree with. Yeah, he might create chances by his movement and, and things like that. But on the whole, from an attacking midfielder, you want output and he doesn't give you that. Um, and as I mentioned there, Marcus Force brought in as a centre-forward, found his place on the right-hand side. 
and a lot of fans thought that maybe he'd be given a run out up front in the early stages of the season because of um, the lack of a centre-forward prior to Latte Lath. That wasn't the case. Uh, he persisted with different strategies with Rodgers up front when we knew that that wasn't his natural position. He persisted with Crooks in the 10, despite him wanting to play Rodgers in the 10 and in playing Crooks up front for spells last year. He kept them switched around, even though it definitely wasn't working in the first few games of the season, and he continued to persist with it. I just, I just think that at the minute, and it go, it goes, goes to the back end of last season as well. The current way that we're playing, we're being found out a lot of the time, and teams, yes, okay, we've we've given teams a few goals so far this season and that goes to show via the XG but we are being found out in a way which I'm struggling to see any sort of adjustment from the coaching staff to try and stop it because a lot of a lot was said in the first sort of in the first game of the season when we played Millwall, about them using a box midfield like Coventry did in the playoffs and it completely killed us. Millwall won the game. And, of course, Coventry used the same uh, system against us in the away game. We got absolutely killed away at Coventry. And teams are slowly, slowly beginning to figure us out. Uh, I can't remember the exact number of games that it is now without a league win but it was the last league win was Hull in April which I mean that was a good few games ago now in terms including the playoff games and we haven't looked like the same team since then at all we of course, had injuries at the back end of last season. And since that whole game, of course, we've lost players as well. But we have no sort of same level of cohesion or anything. And I know that that is going to take time because of new players. But at the minute, it is really a, a, a tough watch watching Middlesbrough at this moment in time because there just isn't that level of cohesion uh, that we were seeing last season that was so enjoyable. And to go from watching how enjoyable that we were um, sort of in the, in the turn of the year last, uh, last season to, to now is uh, it's, it's chalk and cheese really. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I do somewhat agree. I think we, we have to a certain extent been figured out a little bit, but then also, I look at last weekend and we create more than enough chances to win the game. Coventry, you kind of look at personnel in terms of, yes, it may not have made all the difference, but there's a few players in who obviously started in, in that game that realistically aren't going to be 
near the starting team, hopefully, by the time the transfer window slams shut. So I guess you can some somewhat put it to that. Obviously, Lati Lath and, and Engel weren't in the building just yet. Uh, same goes for Millwall. Um, we didn't obviously create as much against Millwall, but we still had some okay chances. And it's, again, I go back to what I said in last week's podcast. I don't want to seem sort of a spoiled fan. And I also am in the camp where I understand what we're trying to do. I really do. I, I think that for a club of our size, someone that wants to be sort of successful and would probably be happy with a finishing in 17th position every single season in the Premier League, then look, it, it, that might be the way that we have to go about it now because there isn't the finances to sort of go and spend ridiculous sums of money. But my major, major concern is I personally feel that we have an absolute diamond of a manager currently. And my concern is that if he isn't backed and he perhaps gets a little bit sort of sick of the project, wants something more ready to go, wants a potential Premier League club, that he might think, well, I've sort of shown... From his side of things, he showed last season, yes, injuries really, really harmed us. And I'm not saying Carrick's completely blameless because he's not. But he showed from when he took over from Chris Wilder what he can do with a team. And yes, OK, he also has a lot of quality in that team. But that, for me, this summer should have been enough to say, well... Okay, you de- you deserve to be backed to a certain level to what we can. And listen, we're talking about this now. He may still get these three players, these three positions, which, by all accounts, are the absolute priorities in this final week of the transfer window. And we might sit on the podcast last week and say, "Well, actually, do you know what? They've delivered these players. Yes, they're too late, but they are here, and it might change everything." Not that I'm hugely confident that is going to happen, but I, I just feel like at the moment we've sort of got to the crest of a wave, had a bit of a dip, and then when you really need to sort of boost it back up again and, and have another real go and, and back the man in charge, I just worry a little bit that we're going to waste the opportunity of having such a good young English manager at our football club and he he, he may get sick of the project not now or not in the next few weeks definitely not but the more the season goes on uh, a lower Premier League club might sort of look at the situation and think he's doing the best from what he can out of the players that he has and we can offer him basically better tools to do a better job with. And I just hope that isn't the case because I think we'd regret it for years and years to come. And it might seem like, from what I'm saying, that I'm wanting us to go out and spend 50 million in the last week of the transfer window. 
I'm not deluded enough to believe that's going to happen, and nor do I think it's a sensible way to do things because look what mess doing things like that has got us in the past. But also, Morgan Rogers and Sammy Silvera uh, really, for a team that had aspirations of potentially challenging for the league this season, or at least pushing the sort of relegated teams, for me, they just shouldn't be the sort of replacements and, and the starting players in our team. I just think we, we still lack, and I go, it's the same point as what I was making last, last podcast, we still lack genuine firepower and pedigree where for some of the chances that we are creating, you can rely on us to potentially outscore teams. Because at the moment, not that it's either a really um, sort of sustainable way of playing either, because it's not. And I'm sure that Michael Carrick doesn't want that to be the case. And I also do see the argument that we could potentially do with a little bit of a destroyer in midfield. But nothing sort of massively changed in terms of the midfield and defence. So to me, that means that the plan was to, again, perform in a similar manner to the way in which we did last season. So, And that would require outscoring teams. And at the moment, with the level of quality that we have in those forward positions, it's just not achievable. Yeah, there's been there's been no change of shape, has there, uh, in terms of the way that we want to play apart from maybe um we've gone for a, a less attacking fullback um and that's sort of seen us having to change up the front line a little bit with McGree being dropped in and out of the side because he's not a winger really in terms of a player that can can get out of fullback and beat him for pace He's more of your midfield technician that wants to pick up pockets and and things like that. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's been there's been no change of of, of shape or the way that we really want to play. Um, you still sort of see similar patterns of, of of what we want to do, although it's a little bit more. It's just a little bit more rigid at the minute. It's there's there's no fluidity about it in terms of the way that you look at that goal that we scored uh, against Preston last season, the opening goal of the game, um, with, with Akpom and Archer and the movement in between, in between the lines from those two, House and playing it into Akpom, Akpom into Archer, Archer back into Akpom and goal. You're not seeing any of that movement from your your forwards as of yet, and hopefully that'll come with with understanding. Um, and hopefully things will click into gear. But as you say, we're now nine signings in to this summer, and the fact that we think that Carrick hasn't been backed shows that these players have been brought in as sort of squad bolsterers. And we haven't quite gone as of yet and sort of signed a few names where you look at and you think, oh, yeah, those are really going to make an impact on that Middlesbrough side. Um, 
of course, there is still a week left of the window, and it's it's been said that Borough are looking to sign three players, hopefully, by Friday in a number of positions. And hopefully they do get the deals done uh, for whoever the targets are. But as you say, the uh, the holding out hope uh, for me is, uh, yeah, it's it's probably not there really. Although in recent recent times, Borough have done some good business. They had a really really good January, uh, just gone, and a pretty good summer last year really. Uh, all things considered, uh, apart from the manager in charge, didn't really want to be here. Um, at the time, but yeah, I'm still not too convinced. Uh, because of a couple of windows that the recruitment team are going to get business done in terms of the proper nitty gritty signings that are going to make the difference for. If you're going to finish mid-table and if you're going to finish in the top six and be keep competing for promotion to the Premier League. So hopefully they get the business done, but I think that we're both sort of holding some reservations on whether the business will actually be done. But the proof will be in the pudding. We'll see you on Friday and we'll reconvene in a week's time. And uh, I'm sure you'll uh, have a lovely rant for us, Chris, if it doesn't fall the way that uh, you want it to. Listen, Nathan, there would be nothing that pleases me more than if I can come on the podcast next week and say, why were we all so worried? Why did I make myself look a fool and think that Carrick might get sick of the project or that he hasn't been backed? And I'd absolutely love that. But I think it's not so much the current recruitment team. It's more just historically we've been scarred from deadline days where the sort of line from the club is, yeah, we're going to be working hard to get deals done, to get these players in that are really going to change the way in which we sort of, um, not play, but sort of change our aspirations for the season. And we've been let down in the past and, I'm probably a little bit scarred from that, but yeah, we've we've left it late, haven't we? Um, but they still have time, and as you've said, hopefully they can get these deals done. Hopefully, hopefully Michael Carrick and uh, the recruitment team aren't in the pub like Tony Pulis at three pm on deadline well, day. When I when I talk about being scarred, that that is the prime example of why any football fan would be scarred. When uh yeah, when your manager reveals that the day after deadline day, when everyone was up until eleven o'clock, fingers crossed that we'd snuck something through the line, uh, something over the line rather. Um, and as a matter of fact, Tony and his um crew were just having a few jars. Um, obviously, what you really want to hear, um, from your manager the day after deadline day, of course. Um, but yes, Nathan. It seems, it seems like it's gone on for so long, this transfer window. I think because we've had such gaps where we signed, what was it? It felt like about 18 players in the space of three days and then all of a sudden we had a really long wait until obviously Latte Laugh and Engel come through the door. Um, but yeah, it, there has been periods where there's been a, 
you know, a few concerns about whether we can get the deals done. And there's obviously still those concerns around. But as you say, um, there's still time. And I'm crossing everything. And I'm sure many Middlesbrough fans that listen to this podcast and those that aren't as well are doing the exact same. I know you will, Nathan. Um, so, yeah, I guess somewhat judgment has to be reserved until that window slams shut. But we can only live in hope, Nathan. We can only live in hope. Um, before the window does slam shut, we we do have a, a cup game to talk about, Nathan. Um, and we, we did get a comment, I, I think I mentioned it in a previous podcast, basically at our disregarding of the Carabao Cup um, before the Huddersfield game. Um, basically saying that it's the only trophy that the club's ever won and it shouldn't just be sort of cast aside. Um, if the same person is listening, I, I do understand your point, but unfortunately I'm going to do the same thing again. My priority as a fan is always trying to gain promotion. And as far as I'm concerned, all the Tuesdays is an opportunity for the second string players to get a good run out and a win is a bonus. But anything sort of more than that, if we did get knocked out, I certainly wouldn't be devastated. No, I, I echo the same thoughts. And it's not, a sh- it's not a sort of shade on the cup or anything like that. It's we're a, we're a championships team now at the time when we won the cup. We were an established Premier League side that had no worries really about going down at the time. We had a really, really good side. And I mean, as as the proof is in the pudding, we won a cup at the time. We were in Europe in the following seasons. Um, and now you've just got to sort of live in the now and sort of accept that we support a championship team now. And for for mine and Chris's lifetime, really, we've been a championship side. And as a result, we don't really care about the Cups unless we get Liverpool or Man United away. And, I mean, usually when we get Man United away, we beat them, uh, like as if it's nowt really um but yeah uh, i'd love a win on uh, on tuesday night against bolton um because i'm living the dream uh, living in the dream of lincoln city in the third round uh, they've got Sheffield united in the cup so hopefully the imps do the business Borough do the business and it finally comes round uh We'll be living in hope of avoiding Newcastle for all that's holy, uh, because do not want to play them. Uh, that's it's sort of a strange one for me because I don't actually have any Newcastle supporting mates, but I know that you do, Chris, and yeah. the thought of playing them would be uh quite terrifying at this moment in time. Um, but yeah, uh. Of course, you want to, you want your team to do well, but if we get knocked out, I couldn't really care less because I, I prefer to focus on the league. 
But one thing that must be said is that despite the dive start to the season, Borough and the away support is just a joke, really. Yeah. Uh, sold out at West Brom on Saturday afternoon and they've sold out 2,800 tickets for Bolton on a Tuesday night in the Carabao Cup second round. That's just ridiculous for... Yeah. For the t- for the town that we live in, as a as a small town in the northeast, to take the numbers that we do everywhere around the country, it's it's truly astounding, and it make, it 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 does make me proud when I was at uni and things like that, and saying, "Oh well, I support Middlesbrough," and they see that we take good numbers everywhere around the country, and think, "Well, that's just a bit strange for." A little town to be able to attract so much, but just goes to show that uh, a lot of people love the football club, and uh, yeah, hopefully the uh, the away away following does finally get uh, a little bit of joy. Um, of course, they did have the Huddersfield one, which they sold out as well. Um, but yeah. Uh, another win at Bolton and then a trip to to Man United or Liverpool would be fantastic again. Yeah, and um, by all means, those that have heard our comments on the cup may well say, well, if you have that view of um, the sort of earlier rounds against the lesser teams, then you shouldn't be the ones that are gloating and celebrating if you beat the big teams. And I'll happily hold my hands up. I would, I, I would do exactly that. I would be a, a fair weather cup fan and be absolutely delighted and revel in it if we were to beat one of the big boys again. Um, so yes, I'm a hypocrite in that sense, but <laughs> at, at least I'm admitting it. Um, yeah, I guess the sort of real attention once the the transfer window is done and dusted will of course be back to league action, and again, it has the sort of pre Huddersfield feeling to the game where you think this is a great opportunity to really get our season underway and hopefully get those three first three points of the season Nathan. Yeah it does Um, and it is QPR at home it's the final game before the first international break of the season as well which is an absolute killer, but perhaps it's coming at quite a good time for us, uh, which is horrible to say so early on in the season, really. But without a win in the first few games is, uh, yeah, it's making me not want to watch uh, Middlesbrough at the minute. But yeah, QPR at home, you're looking at that and you're thinking, come on, you've got you've got to attack that game and try and get three points. And I'm not doubting that they haven't in the other games, but. You're looking at QPR and you just think, in fairness, in the last few weeks, they've sort of turned it around a little bit in some of the performances that they put in. But the results have still still continued. Um, defeat after defeat. Um, they've got Gareth Ainsworth in charge, who is a manager that has a certain way of playing and... As much as QPR fans love him for being a club legend, I don't think that they're on board with the Ainsworth project quite yet. And, of course, the, the, they've lost a few players. Um, of course, Senny Dieng's now with Borough. 
Chris Willock looks like he's heading out the door. Uh, he hasn't been included in the last two squads for QPR. Um, there's a bit of speculation around Ilias Chair as well, as there was earlier on in the window. So you've got to look at this and think you've you've just got to go and get three points. And if you don't, then next week's podcast is going to be a hell of a podcast, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I really don't want to tempt fate, and I, I, I certainly hope this isn't the case. But if we don't bring in the bodies that we're all open for, and then we don't get a result against QBR, I mean, this is—it'll be an hour and a bit long, just depression session, won't it? I mean, it, it really will be down in the dumps if that does uh, come to fruition, and I certainly hope it doesn't. Um, but yeah, the thought of it's quite scary, actually. But as you say, Nathan, it's it it has that similar feel of Huddersfield um, pre kickoff. Um, you, you look at them and you think, I don't think they're going to be up to much this season. I think Gareth after the first game of the season when Watford stuck, I think it was three or four past them. Gareth Ainsworth pretty much said in his post match press conference, you know, uh, we can have some good moments um, and and hopefully yeah we can all you know, pull together and and try and stay in this league or comments sort of similar to that. And I mean, if you're a fan listening to your manager say that after the first game of the season, then you really ought to be seriously concerned. Um, And that, I mean, that just goes to show where they sort of view themselves in terms of their aspirations for this season. So look, we can't discredit them because the way that we're playing at the moment is not even better than what they have done so far this season but hopefully we've got some new personnel in hopefully we've hopefully we've come off the back of a convincing victory in the cup and that'll build a bit of momentum and hopefully Nathan we can just get those first three points because you said something to me before we'd even started recording and you said something throughout this podcast actually which is the difference in terms of results and the actual feel of the sort of desperation for that first three points, it does have a little bit of a feel of the start of last season. Fortunately, in this case, our manager doesn't want to actually just walk out at any given moment. Um, so that's a real positive. But in terms of results, there is that desperation starting to creep in. And yeah. I just hope that we get the job done. And I hope I hope we sit down to record this podcast next week, Nathan, and we can just really have our first real positive podcast of the season. We can thank everyone for all of the votes for the Football Content Awards. We can have a real successful deadline day with plenty of excitement and then win the game. And then we can just think the international breaks here. Michael Carrick's going to have his new boys out on the training pitches for two weeks, getting that magic back into the boots of all of the players. And then we can just set sail on HMS, piss the league from a slightly delayed start. Yeah, it sounds perfect to me. That, um, yeah, hopefully, as you say, fingers crossed, get a few bodies in this week, play QPR on Saturday, win the game, get three points and then 
after the international break, head to Ewood Park and just let's attack this league, see what it's about. Yeah, I, you nearly said a quote that was dangerously similar to a famous Steve Gibson quote from a few years ago, which we all know how that ended. So uh, let's not put the kiss of death on that. Um, but yes, I think that's us done for this week, Nathan. Um, I must say, uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, you may have seen that Nathan is wearing the uh, the away kit for this season. I personally love the kit. Um, so yes, Nathan, Um well done to you for repping that in this episode of the podcast. Yeah, um, lovely, lovely kit. And it is very Boca Juniors-like, which, yeah, it, uh, it hasn't quite got uh, a shine out of Piero quite yet. But uh, you never know. Yeah, we live in hope for <laughs> things to do with Middlesbrough Football Club. But yes, we will uh, leave it there, Nathan. And as always, um, we will thank those of you who've got to this point and watched on YouTube or listened on your podcast provider. Um, I'm going to shamelessly say again, please do um, vote for us. Um, Obviously, you may have seen on our Twitter account that we've retweeted votes that um, basically all you have to do to submit a vote via Twitter is just copy that exact tweet and tweet that and that is fine that counts as a vote obviously you can do it via the link that we will include in the description and obviously the pinned tweet on the Brockless account um, but yes I will stop begging for votes and I will say uh, that has been another episode of the Brockless podcast and hopefully we come to you next week with a whole bucket load of positivity. Thanks again. Oh,